and welcome back to the Neil Plus One podcast with me, Neil Curran. Yes, it's episode two of season two. Yay! And uh, thank you all for your comments and feedback from the first episode of the season. This time around, I get to speak with Jeff Kramer of Comedy Sports San Jose. Jeff is a wonderful guy. He's done fantastic work with the Comedy Sports crew over the years in San Jose. And they've been going for nearly 30 years now. It's a special year for them this year because not only were they hosting the Comedy Sports World Championship, but they also won the title. So big kudos to them. I have to say, the Comedy Sports and Jeff... Uh, in general, uh, they've always been very welcoming to me anytime I visit in the Bay Area, and I've been fortunate enough to play with them uh, quite a few times, and I have to say it's always been a blast. There's a real great sense of family amongst the, the cast there, and I believe that's something that's shared across the comedy sports family across the US and the other cities that uh, it takes place in. So for this podcast, what we actually start out with, I got a few sound bites from some of the players that were performing the night that, that I was there in January of this year. And then there is the podcast interview with Jeff himself. So I do hope you enjoy it. I'm Scott Getline, keyboard player for Comedy Sports in San Jose. Been here a little over four years, and I love comedy sports. It's everything to me. I have a day job, but comedy sports is my life. Hi, everyone. I'm Lizzie, and I've been with Comedy Sports Main Stage for a year now. Yay, I just had my first one-year anniversary. Oh, yeah. Yay, me! Oh. <laughs> um, and what does comedy sports mean to me? It's Right now, it's it's my family. It's what I have. It's, it's my support system, and uh, everyone here is who I turn to when skies are gray. So I love this place, <laughs> and I love that on days like today when things are rough in our world that guys are gray yeah <laughs> that we can come here and just play play with our friends and it's fun yeah uh hello i am dan rod roger sensi i've don't been believe i don't believe me either he lies uh, i do you're ugly that's a lie anyways um <laughs> i've been with comedy sports since 2013 january which is four years yes yes it's four years wow um and comedy sports means becoming an artist to me because uh, after high school I graduated and I yeah, went to community college and I didn't necessarily figure out what I wanted to do and I got into comedy sports a year after graduating and I found my voice through this, you know, playing every weekend. So it was a good experience for someone who wants to be an actor. Oh, good luck to me. <laughs> Good luck, Dan. You liar. (laughs) Uh, I'm Dakota, and uh, I started in uh, high school league like Dan Raj just a a few years later. Um, Oh, yeah. Uh, I did that, too. Yeah, yeah. We both, uh, he actually was one of my uh, uh, mentors when I was in uh, high school league, ref some of my shows. But um, Call Me Sports, to me, means to expand my boundaries and to also be an artist like Dan Raj was saying and uh, just exploring yourself and exploring uh, you know people around you and your, your friends and they really do become a family so I, I've, been, I've been grateful for, for that and uh, I've been on main stage for just a few months so and I guess also just to add to what Lizzie was saying about what it means especially for a day like today yeah. um, we, you know the tonight's loyal fans they are very important. Yeah. We are here because of them, 
and it is such an honor to bring this to them. Yeah, if we can make one person turn that frown upside down, that's that's a victory for us. And yeah, the victory is whenever we get a quiet audience, and at the end of the show, they're they're not that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kramer has this running joke when he refs about um, you should take classes if you don't have any friends, and I'm, I used to always be the person in the audience going, "That's why I joined. I moved here, and I don't have friends." <laughs> and it's really real because shortly after starting classes, uh, so I live alone, right? I didn't have roommates, and I didn't know anyone here. And shortly yeah, after starting classes, I accidentally stabbed myself with a knife and. <laughs> like oh. bleeding profusely <laughs> and so I didn't like have anyone and oh I'm like I'm running like the no emergency yeah, contact my hand yeah. was I, I stabbed my hand and I was like under the, the sink faucet <laughs> crying profusely going I wish oh, I had oh. roommates right about now and then I remembered I met someone in like a level one class so oh. with my other hand text him and ask for an emergency kit you call them at <laughs> four like, in the morning do you have a first aid kit <laughs> will you come I stabbed myself <laughs> and then he came and he fixed me oh and then gosh. I gave him alcohol and he went to go get ice and I was like before you open my freezer just know that after I stabbed myself I was mad at the knife and threw it in the freezer and he found it and took it out hiding the murder weapon (laughs) Uh, my name is Stephen Layton I've been doing comedy sports for just about two years including the classes I'm Marcelo and I've been doing comedy sports uh, for a year in the main cast with uh, same time as uh, Stephen here yeah so I guess the year if we're going to do that yeah well I didn't take the classes (laughs) okay there you go. So I'm better educated than you. Yeah, yeah. Well, I uh, I was very involved in a, in a theater called Improv Boston back in Boston, and then I and then I moved here, uh, and I was a little miserable, and I felt a little lost. And uh, comedy sports has really helped me. San Jose has really helped me feel that the Bay is, feels more like home now. Whereas I just moved here for work, now I feel like I'm I'm a part of something uh, that's a, very fun. So. Yeah, that's what it means to me. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would just say it's the fun of it. You know, you just get to go up and have a really good time goofing around. Uh, one of my one of my friends came and saw a show I was in, and she was like, yeah, I paid 15 bucks for the show, but I just saw you up on stage, like, goofing around like you normally do. So, And I was like, that's kind of true. You just kind of you get to get up and be a goof and, and have a good time. And Hello, I'm here in Comedy Sports San Jose. Nope. The home of Comedy Sports San Jose, I should say. Uh, live recording. And I'm joined by the j- legendary uh, Jeff Kramer. Your word. My word. You're... Just a guy. Your title. <laughs> it's my title. It's on my business card. <laughs> it's on your business card. Gets me a lot of work for corporate events. Because underneath it all, that's all. It's the it's the title that carries. Everybody the, wants carries to work career. with a legend, right? Yeah. So it's, they don't even have to know what you're a legend of. They just want to work with you. It's it's how I'm able to add an extra zero to my fee. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, Jeff, it's good to be here. Thanks for for being here too. Always yeah. always good to see you. Yeah, it's great great to see you again. And. Um, I'm always excited about comedy sports because, you know, comedy sports is just a massive brand. But what's really lovely about uh, here in San Jose is you're not too far off the 30-year mark in terms of how long you've been going. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it, but we, we started in September of 1987. So we're, we're coming up on 30 years. And it's just mind-boggling. And you've been here from the start. You, mm-hmm. you're the, the, I don't want to say something that's inaccurate, but you're the guy behind it all. I started it here in San Jose. I hmm. started in Milwaukee in... Uh, well, Comedy Sports started in Milwaukee in 1984. And then Dick Chudnow, who started Comedy Sports, decided to open a second one in Madison. 
1985, and I was going to school there, mm-hmm. and that's where I met up with him, and that's where I got started. Mm-hmm. And then I was moving out here to take a job in 86, I think, and he had this idea that he was selling me of this league of all of these cities that would eventually be playing home and away matches, and he was talking about this big championship, and he had this vision, and he said, when you get out to San Jose, I want you to see if you can start something in San Jose, because we really want to expand. So I think we were the fifth comedy sports team out of what is now 25. Mm -hmm. And so the interesting thing is that Dick had what seemed to us at the time this wild vision of this thing happening and it's actually come to fruition Hmm. and we're going to be hosting the comedy sports world championships in june so all 25 teams are going to be coming to san jose Hmm. to compete for the comedy sports world championship it's exactly what dick was talking to us about in 1985 wow and i mean you know comedy sports has grown so much over here but i imagine you know, when you started here, you know, we're in Silicon Valley here, and Silicon Valley has changed enormously over the decades. So what did the landscape when you set up here look like then versus now? Well, the most interesting thing was there was no culture of improv here. And we had to explain not just the concept of the comedy sports show, but what improv was to anyone that we were trying to get to come to the show or most importantly to host us in the show because when we first started for our first five or six years we were playing in the back of bars and banquet rooms of restaurants and so imagine walking into a place and trying to explain what we're going to do not to mention the fact that there's going to be you know this concept of two teams and a referee but just try to explain to them that it's going to be an improv show the whole concept of improv was just foreign to people back then. Mm-hmm. And now you say to someone improv and they can say, oh, you mean like Whose Line Is It Anyway or Wild and Out or, you know, the the movies that have come out with improv in them or all of the TV shows where everybody's come from an improv background, anything from 30 Rock to The Office to Parks and Rec and all of the Christopher Guest movies where there's so much improv in it and everybody knows what improv is now thanks to all of those shows but Whose Line wasn't on TV in the US at that time so it was more than just trying to sell the concept of the comedy sports show it was trying to sell the concept of improv as well and I suppose a, a lot of people listening are probably familiar with comedy sports, but certainly, um, you know, there's more comedy sports teams in the U.S. than there are in other parts of the world. So maybe give us a, a very brief summary of what comedy sports is. Sure. It just takes the improv short form format and makes it into a competitive format. So the performers are on two teams. We have the blue team and the red team. Blue team gets up there and they have three to four minutes to do a scene based on a suggestion from the audience. Uh, there's a referee that serves as the MC and will call time after four minutes or so. And then the red team gets up there, does something else, again, based on a, on a suggestion. And then the audience votes on which team they thought just was better in that round, whether they thought they were funnier or more entertaining or it was the last thing they saw and that's all they remember. <laughs> in fact, when the show is going really well, the team that goes last always wins the audience voting. That's how we know the show is really functioning 
at its peak is when they were just automatically voting for the last thing they saw, even if they stood up and applauded for the first team. Yeah, yeah. but I think one of the things you haven't mentioned there, which as as a an outsider to you know what the great things you're doing here, is every time I walk into a comedy sports show, or I'm, or, or I'm guessing with you guys, or even tonight during the the the, the, the workshop, and um, there's a huge sense of family. Amongst, I mean, the, the people here. Yeah. There's a lot of new faces here that I hadn't met uh, before. But you have that sense of family. Um, what is it you're doing, or what is it about that 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 uh, that's making it all come about? Well, it's important to me that everyone feels like this is an ensemble. So you know, it's not a show starring this person. And we've always promoted it that way. That it's this group mentality when we're doing the show. And I mean, all really all great improv shows have an ensemble of people. Ours might be a little larger because we need a bigger stable of, of performers so that we can do a show and maybe be in two places at once. Or just to be able to do, do a show every single Friday and every single Saturday, we need to be able to give people time off to rest yeah. or travel or have a family and then come back. So that part of it has always been really important to me. And, you know, we really stress that it is a family, that when, you, when you're in this team, you are in this family and everybody. It, it's more than just the I've got your back, but we mean that off stage as well. So when, you know, this is something, someone will have a, a family and they're having a baby. And before the baby is born, we'll have a night at practice where everybody got together and somebody brought in all of these onesies and a bunch of pens. And we just spent the entire night designing 25 onesies that we were then going to present to uh, the player who was going to be having a baby and you know that that sort of thing and or whether someone's hosting a party at their house outside of the show or whether we all go to see a movie together just for fun and that that part of it is just important to me because it got us through the tougher times as well so during the economic downturn when theaters were closing all over the place and and we're not nonprofit i mean we i say jokingly we are in a sense that we don't make a profit <laughs> but all of the nonprofit co- uh, theater companies in San Jose there were a ton of them that closed including the largest one the San Jose Rep which is just down the street and they were getting money from the city and from benefactors and we were trying to survive without even getting all of those so you know, one of the hardest things to do was to be able to pull people together and say things have gotten so bad that in order to just keep the theater running, we can't pay anybody for shows for a while. Mm-hmm. And I was heartbroken to say that, and yet it was a defining moment for the team because everybody said, well, of course you can't pay us. I mean, we know how bad things are. And we all have other jobs anyway. We don't do this for the money to begin with. So you absolutely can't pay us until things get better. The most important thing is keeping this show running somehow, just surviving. Hmm. And, you know, I I teach that too in corporate training, that you really don't know what your team is like until you face adversity. You know, I mean, every team looks great when things are going well. Hmm. But you really find out what your team makeup is when when you're facing adversity and that and that's when you feel like you have a family yeah yeah and and as well in, you know extending that to your audience every time i've been here and you're, you're going 28 years every time i've been here I, I i i just remember packed out audiences it's always busy it's always full um how do you keep 
how do you keep it fresh for your audiences? I know we're in a very large city here, but you know, you there's never a dry seat. Well, the thing that we try to keep in mind is that in any audience, at least fifty percent have never seen us before. At least that's what we're hoping. Hmm. If we get to the point where everybody has seen us before all the time, then we're probably in trouble because it means we're not bringing new people in. Hmm. And it's it's been word of mouth for the entire time. People will see the show and then go tell people, their friends, what they saw. It's hard to explain. They'll say, oh, just I'll bring you back and, and come and see it. Another thing that helps is that we're constantly developing new games, new ways to play old games. And with a group of 25 performers, the makeup of the show is different every week, too. So we're, it's it's never the same six, seven, eight people back to back mm. in shows. The referee is always different. Even if we had the same six people on both nights, we'd mix them up so they weren't on the same teams, you know, on both nights. Mm. And then we've also got two hundred short form games that we could choose from in a night. Mm. Um, now, if you if you look here, just right behind you, you'll see a whiteboard. And I can describe it to everybody here, but on that whiteboard, in uh, several months ago, we decided to try and do a no repeat month, and the goal was that we were not going to play a single game twice in all of the shows that month. So there were twelve shows, and we play an average of six or seven games in each show, and we kept track of them so that each week the teams would see what had been played the previous week to make sure that they didn't repeat any of them, and so that's when we really went with the full gamut of the games that we have to play. So I that's probably a list of 65, 70 games up there that we played over the course of that month, and we didn't play any game twice mm. in that show. And that just made it fun for the players, too, and obviously fun for the audience. We told them we're going to try and do this month with not a single repeat game. Mm. So there's all kinds of different ways that, you know, to try and keep it, keep it fresh. Uh, you know, the other thing that keeps it fresh is the audience, too. And we have no idea what the reaction of the audience is going to be on any given night. Hmm. And I think that's something that we really try to focus on is that we're adapting the show to the audience on any given night. So we might have a game plan to say, hey, let's play these five or six games in the show, and then we get down there, and this game I was going to play is not going to work. You know, we, we might say, uh, you know what, we should do Shakespeare. We're going to do a four-minute you know, Shakespeare scene. And we get down there, and we discover that there's a birthday party in the audience of 14-year-olds and they're 40% of the audience that night. And so we just call up a different play on the fly. You know, in, in, in football, uh, American football. Uh, Thanks for clarifying. Yeah, <laughs> I knew this was international. In football, you know, the real football that we Americans co-opted from you um, in American football. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a term called calling an audible. Right, the, the, the quarterback uh, has chosen a play. The team knows that this is the play they're going to run, and when they get up to the line, the quarterback looks at the defense and realizes that play isn't going to work. So he calls an audible at the line, and in a secret code that only his team knows, he says, you know, blue, 187, right. And everyone knows what that means, and it means we're not doing that play, we're doing this play. And we'll do that during the show. We'll call an audible because this game we were going to play is not going to work for this audience. Mm. Um, and at the same time, we might be thinking of certain games, and we get down there, and the audience is just on fire that night, and everything we do, 
they're just going nuts over. And so for that particular audience, we might decide to play it a lot riskier than we would on another night. That's a night when we might do a game like Game-O-Matic, where we literally make up a game in front of the audience and play it for possibly the only time. (laughs) You know, they'll just give us a, a phrase or a noun and a verb, and then each of the players steps forward and says, okay, here are the rules for that game. And then the audience votes on what rules we're going to play it by, and then we play it. Mm. And every once in a while, you catch lightning in a bottle, and it's just this unbelievable game. And those actually are, are still in our rotation. Mm. And very often, it's a spectacular failure. Mm. <laughs> and we even say to the audience, well, you're the only audience that will ever see that game. <laughs> and they actually applaud because they, you know we took this giant risk. And they're like, well, I was there the night they played butcher baker and candlestick maker (laughs) and i'm the only crowd that ever saw that that particular game and and speaking of audiences uh and correct me if i'm wrong here the term you would use for comedy sports show would it be family friendly would that be yeah we like to say for everyone everyone. um over the years we've kind of changed it because we we don't want it to be identified as a kid's show Hmm. or a religious show you know we we just want to say it's it's for everyone it doesn't matter where you're from, what you find funny, there's going to be something in it for you. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes it really fun for me to look out into a crowd and I'll see out of 100 people in the audience that night, there's, uh, you know, like I said, there's that 14-year-old's birthday and they're there with their parents and their friends. So that's 20 right there. Mm-hmm. And then sitting across the aisle from them are five or six high school students and sitting behind them is uh, a college, you know, sorority. It's there, it's, you know, going out. And then there's a women's group night out. Mm-hmm. And there's a bachelor party that decided we're not going to a strip club because we're going to get in trouble. But we <laughs> want to go and do something fun. So they've come to the show. So it's fun, but not something that they have to hide from their <laughs> wives or fiancés or anything like that. And it's great because... Parents will sometimes bring the kids for a birthday party thinking, all right, I'll just sit through this. It's for the kids. And then they discover as the show goes on that there's so many things that they're really enjoying. And some of the things go straight over the kids' heads. You know, some of the jokes and and situations go right over the kids' heads. And they realize that. And they go, oh, this part is just for me. Mm -hmm. And that's what I like about it and that's really what the, the for everyone I think means to me yeah yeah and and you also though on the Saturday nights you've got the, the late night show mm-hmm. um, afterwards and is that part of the comedy comedy sports staple or is that something that you that you developed yourself or? We, did, we didn't start with it when we first started it was we, all we were doing was comedy sports and then we actually had some longtime fans that said do you have anything else we love comedy sports what else do you have mm-hmm. and we didn't have anything and, you know, around that time, we went to Chicago for one of the early comedy sports championships, and we were exposed to a lot of the other types of improv shows, long form and musical and Shakespeare and, you know, everything that's, that was going on there that's still going on there. But we hadn't seen it, of course, because the first seven or eight years, we're here in San Jose, and we're the only improv, and that's the whole landscape, mm. and we didn't see anything else. And so that kind of opened our eyes, and we said, you know, we could develop a show like that, and that will be something that matches the needs of some audience members 
that want to see something like that. Mm. And, you know, we made that conscious decision to say, all right, well, the shows we saw in, in Chicago were not, were, were more geared towards 18 and over. Mm. They were definitely not for everyone or family friendly or whatever term you want to put on it. But we thought we should have something like that. And business-wise, it made sense, too, that we didn't want to just say, we're all we're putting all our eggs in this one basket, and this is all we do, and, you know, audience members were requesting something else, so we should try and see if we can come up with something for them. And, and that was the thing with it. It's, it's, it's a very strong... Like, it's not a... Uh, it doesn't feel like a tacked-on show, if that makes sense. Every time I've seen it or been part of it, it's a very strong ensemble. And, you know, it, it feels like an NA show. It doesn't feel like this, this tacked-on thing. Um, so how long did it take for that? And also, you do a different format every month. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it rotates. So Sometimes every week. You know, it right. just dep- kind of depends on, on what, we, what we're planning on doing. And uh, so we, we started... Really, we didn't feel like we could do the show justice in the way that we saw it in Chicago. We realized we can't just go back and just say, okay, we're doing this show now. Mm. And we literally need to start rehearsing. And, I mean, we practice every week anyway, and we come to practice for comedy sports. And, we, you know, even after all these years, there are still games that we're practicing and trying to polish. And uh, But for that, we said we need to spend several months until we feel comfortable attempting to put this up for an audience. Yeah. And, you know, it's, I don't know, it's, it's not much different than going, okay, we're, um, we're sprinters, mm-hmm. and we want to see if we can, you know, run a mile mm-hmm. <laughs> instead of sprinting. And, you know, obviously we know how to run, but it's a different set of muscles, yeah. and it's a different sort of training, too. Mm-hmm. Right to kind of the getting up the endurance and everything, and so there are all of those things that are related to doing longer scenes. It's still improv, but you're just coming at it from a different way, and the format is different and the setup is different. So we just felt, you know, we really got to kind of go and practice and train to do this so that we feel comfortable doing. We feel just as comfortable doing a thirty-minute scene as we do doing a four-minute scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, another question to ask you. Um and we've we've spoken about this before, but I, I I did enjoy the stories you told about it. Um, a, a part of the comedy sports show is you've got the U.S. flag draped in the background, and there's, there's the recital of the national anthem at the start of the show, which is always the hardest part of me when I'm on stage because you know <laughs> the only thing I know about the national anthem is what I see in the movies. Right. So right. I've got that few minutes of awkwardness of Gosh, I hope nobody knows I'm I'm not, I don't know the words. Um, but. Um, you know, how do your audiences treat that part of the show? Because they're coming to see a comedy show, mm-hmm. and how do they treat that part of the show where you've got this serious moment of your, you know, you're reciting your national mm-hmm. anthem? Well, it's it's interesting that you bring that up because I'm going to tell you what it's about and how we did it, but I'm also going to tell you something that has just come up recently within the American political spectrum mm-hmm. and how that's changed just within the last six months. So. The original concept of this was that this is a sporting event. It has the trappings of a sporting event. That's the vision that that Dick had when we were doing that. Now, he based it on the theater sports concepts of Keith Johnstone, where it was done competitively. Uh, The whole reason that we're not a theater sports team anymore. When I first started, I was on a theater sports team. Madison and Milwaukee were theater sports teams, licensed theater sports teams. And Dick wanted to go further with the sports metaphor and say, well, it's competitive, but I want to add all of the trappings of sports. So 
it was Dick's idea to say, you know, the the MC is going to be dressed like an American football referee with a striped shirt and will actually throw a penalty flag. So the fouls were there, the brown bag foul and uh, some of the other fouls were there, but Dick had this thing of saying, well, uh, but I'm going to have a referee call these fouls and I'm going to put a, give the referee a stopwatch and a whistle and have artificial turf you know, on the field. So all of those trappings of sports and have the teams on benches and even start to have the terms be sports terms so that it's not uh, an ensemble, it's two teams that are competing against each other, two teams of players, you know, and a, a, a referee. You know, it's not the MC, it's the referee, right? And the teams are introduced as here are the starting lineups for our match, and the announcer gets the crowd pumped up in the same way that at a football game or a basketball game, the introduction of the players as they come running out in the crowd, getting into a frenzy before everything starts. And the national anthem is played at all American sports events before they get started. And so Dick saw that and said, well, we have to do that. I mean, if we're, if we're calling ourselves a sport and we're doing this as a sport, then that's naturally something that we want to have in the show. And the interesting thing about it is as we were doing it, the crowd didn't think that we were serious at first. They just thought we were not mocking the national anthem, but because this was a, a sport and comedy, they thought we were like satirizing sports. And so they thought that doing the national anthem was a bit. And so for the first several years, a lot of audience members that were there for the first time, we'd say, and now please rise and join us in singing of our national anthem. And they just laugh because they're like, oh, yeah, they do that at, at football and baseball and basketball games. And we would start singing and we'd be facing the flag. And it was the only part of the show that we took completely seriously. You know, the players were told, do not do any bits during the national anthem. You just do it the way you would at a you know at a sporting event. You face the flag, hand over your heart, and you just you just sing the national anthem just the way the players do. And audience members would be sitting there laughing, and then the laughter would die away, and they'd look at each other and go, "We better stand up. They're they're actually serious about this. They're doing it." And we never commented on it. It was just part of the trappings of a sporting event. So here's a sporting event. We also used to start the show with something uh, where we would do vending. And some cities still do it. We may actually bring it back. But, you know, when you go to a sporting event and the vendors are in the stands and there's peanuts and pennants and things like that. And so all of our shows early on, we started with that. And you'd be sitting in the audience and the first couple of vendors would come out and they'd be yelling, you know, peanuts, get your peanuts, you know, uh, comedy sports pennants, who wants a pennant? And then the items would start to get a little more strange until by the end someone would be selling raw liver on a stick you know or an actual fish head or something like that and so the crowd would see that again before the teams are even introduced they're like oh it's vending but they're doing silly vending you know kind of thing but it was set up with a couple of real items so that they thought oh it's it's vendors hmm. oh, oh okay I see what they're doing with that hmm. and then the introduction of the teams and the national anthem so all the trappings of sports now it's the the political landscape has changed here, uh, especially over the last year, and we're actually here in San Jose at the epicenter of where it started, because the uh, 49ers quarterback this past season, um, name is uh, Colin Kaepernick, uh, he 
decided that he didn't want to stand for the national anthem when it was played before their football game. And keep in mind, this was right as the Black Lives Matter movement was really starting to gain more more focus. And he wanted to call attention to that, so he just decided he was going to just get down on one knee and not stand with his hand over his heart. He'd be out there, but he wouldn't be standing for the national anthem. And it became uh, a hot-button issue in the country, and, and certainly... I, don't, I wouldn't say it divided the country like the Vietnam War divided the country, but it certainly created a, a big discussion in the country. And we started looking at that, and we all decided as, a, as, as a, an entire organization, CSC Worldwide, that we had to address it. And so this just happened within the last six months that we decided that for the time being we're not going to have the national anthem in the show. Hmm. And the reason has nothing to do with comedy. It has everything to do with people misinterpreting what's going on with the national anthem. Interesting, yeah. And so, you know, at the beginning, people misinterpreted it as, oh, they're making a, a joke out of it, right? Oh, oh, they're serious. Okay, I'll stand up. And we realized, you know, if we do this, here's what's going to happen. Somebody in the audience who thinks we're doing it, you know, jokingly, is going to get offended, Another audience member is going to think it's very funny to go and take a knee like Colin Kaepernick did during the NFL season, Mm. and people are going to misinterpret that. They're joking, but someone else in the audience is going to get pissed, (laughs) you know, that they're doing that, and they're disrespecting the flag, and we've got some veterans in the audience that we didn't know until that moment happened. And so we just decided, you know, comedy sports has never been... We don't do political comedy. Yeah. That's not our forte. We're not good at it. We shouldn't be attempting it. Mm. And so we just decided as uh, as CSC Worldwide, which is the kind of governing body of, of all the comedy sports teams, we just decided for the time being we were just... We'll, we'll have the flag up there, but we're not going to do the national anthem. Mm. And so that... You won't have to worry about that. <laughs> you play this weekend. Or remembering the lyrics. <laughs> yeah. Although... What would be great, and the audience would certainly enjoy that, is if we introduced you, you know, as our special guest, which we will, and did the Irish national anthem, <laughs> and had the audience sing that, because nobody would have an issue with that at all. Yeah, nobody's going to yeah. take a knee during the Irish national anthem. <laughs> certainly not, not from ours. But that's it's just interesting that you brought that up because it's just changed within the last mm. six months. Mm. Interesting, very interesting. Yeah. And it, it's too bad because I, I always enjoyed the fact that we did it as part of this entire story we're telling about mm-hmm. this is a sport that we're doing. It happens to be a sport of comedy, yeah. but it's got all of these trappings. And, you know, I always enjoyed that part, but I also completely understand mm-hmm. what's going on in the climate. And we don't want to politicize the show in any way or have someone misinterpret why, why we're doing the national anthem. Mm-hmm. Especially if someone's there for the first time and they're going, oh, they, they're doing this just because they want to make a statement, mm-hmm. yeah. right? And they don't understand that we've been doing it for 30 years that way mm-hmm. and we're just doing it because we're doing it. Yeah. So we just decided it would be best for now <clears throat> to just remove that from the show. Mm. Wow. That's very interesting. Yeah. yeah. It's <laughs> you find yourself at the center of something that you didn't want to uh, – you don't want to be a part of. And so we just kind of quietly removed it. And we nobody from the audience has, has really even brought it up. Hmm. I haven't had a single audience member in the last six months say, hey, how come you don't do the national anthem anymore? Hmm. And if they did, I'd, I'd explain it to them, and I, I think they would understand. Yeah. 
And that kind of leads me to another question I just just thought of there around um, no-go areas in in comedy and improv and in comedy sports. And we chatted before about the whole religion coming mm-hmm. up as part of improv. Um, you know, I, I've often felt, again, as an outsider comes in, that, you know, not that I'm in any way talented at political comedy, but when you're in the US, you know, you've got the Democrats, you've got Republicans, it's probably best to park anything political because you're going to upset maybe half your audience. That's exactly what I and, say. But is there other things that can come up uh, in, you know, other topics that maybe don't float or don't go down so well? As for performers or audiences in, in, in comedy sports or in improv in general in this part of the world? That, well, that's what's interesting is that, you know, I would, I, I'm looking forward to coming and performing with you at some point in Ireland. Hmm. And it's going to be an experience where I'm going to have to have you brief me on what goes over well and what doesn't go over well there. And obviously, there's certain things that I can say or do here that would get a huge response yeah. <laughs> that would just get, get nothing there because I'm doing some sort of topical reference here. Mm-hmm. Like, for instance, if I if I do something about the you know Colin Kaepernick and the 49ers, everybody knows what I'm talking about here. Yeah. If I do it over there, people, no, no one have will have any yeah. idea, and they'll just think it's idiotic that I would yeah. say that. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's interesting because we mentioned religion. Um, I think in Ireland we still have a blasphemy law because it's in our constitution; they haven't wow. changed it yet. Yeah. Um, and we've had people walk out of shows because it offended their religious sensibilities. Mm-hmm. Not that very often. Um, cut to here, and you know, you do have certainly people in parts of the country that are very, very religious, but it doesn't right. seem to be, you know, it doesn't seem to be a thing where you know we had one show what I did with you guys, and we did a, a religious heavy scene. It was a lot of fun, but afterwards I was like, gosh, I wonder if our audience is smaller as a result of that. <laughs> and, and it wasn't, thankfully. Yeah, and that was in the long form show, which is. 18 and over hmm. and people come in knowing that and that there can be things said or done of an adult nature in the show yeah. we tell them that ahead of time mm-hmm. you know and uh, but in the in the comedy sports show yeah there are definitely some areas that you have to find a way around hmm. and stay away from and I mean it's it's happened I, I had somebody get upset and send me an email because a player said oh god as an exclamation during a show Right, they were like falling. They're like, "Oh God!" And I got something from an email from somebody the next day saying that they just they still like the show, but they were just a little bit upset at that use of the word God wow. in the show. Yeah. And you know what? What do you say to that? Yeah. You know, I mean, it's there. That's something that they believe in. Or if someone, so we always, you know, we're always careful about. It, it, that part doesn't concern me as much, but if someone's like, "Ah, oh, Jesus," you know, yeah. that can make some people uncomfortable yeah. as well. Other people, again, would look at it and go, "What's the big deal?" I say that all the time, but mm. someone that's more religious might find that objectionable. Yeah, you know. And then, you know, we, again, we're, we're we're trying to stay out of the political commentary because as you said you're going to piss off 50% of the audience Mm. no matter which side you take you're going to piss off 50% of the audience and why would you deliberately do that in your show yeah yeah exactly you know so changing the 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 topic completely um you know we've talked about keeping comedy sports fresh um you've been doing this a long time and every time I, I meet you your your passion 
never dissipates. You're, you're incredibly valued. You know, we meet people all the time in the improv world, but you're certainly on the short list of people who are incredibly passionate uh, every single time about what you do. How do you keep the improv fresh for Jeff? Forgetting the comedy sports <laughs> on How do you keep this fresh for you? Well, one of the things that keeps it fresh for me is I have an experience in every single show that takes me down at least one notch as far as uh, my the, my perceived abilities, right? You know, you go out in every show thinking, I've been doing this for 30 years, I know what I'm doing, and I do one scene, and I come off stage after that scene feeling like I have no clue what I'm doing. Hmm. It's I, I've got nothing, I'm not contributing anything to this scene, nothing is happening for me. We, You know, some nights... Even within shows, you know, the audience calls out a suggestion and a million ideas pop into my head. And the very next scene, they'll call out something and there's just there's just nothing, you know. Um, you've played the game with us, the object freeze game, which is an old improv game, you know, in whose line they, they call it uh, props, I think. We get go into the audience, get a whole bunch of objects that they brought with them, right? Yeah. And then we, you put it up there and you're jumping forward and trying to use it in some creative way. And, you know, there's this joke among a bunch of us that there are some nights where the object comes out and you're like, I've got a million ideas and everything is just clicking. Mm-hmm. But just as often, you know, I will have a show <laughs> where I get to that and they put uh, a shoe. Someone's given us their shoe. And I turn around and I look at it and I go, shoe, that's a shoe. <laughs> that's all it could possibly be is a shoe. All I'm seeing is shoe, 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 shoe. Yeah. There's just nothing, right? Yeah. And you, and so you have that happen to you several times in a show, and it's just it's always humbling. I, I have at least one humbling moment in every show that just brings me back to going. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I need to work harder to do this. Um, and then also just things about how the the cultural landscape changes. You know, I remember the first time we got Harry Potter as a scene suggestion. Right, you know, obviously a number of years ago, but I hadn't heard of it. I had no idea, right? And so, and I just floundered about on stage, and a couple other people, thankfully, had read it and you know played all these characters and did all these references, which the audience just flipped over. And to me, it was as if they were speaking gibberish. You know, I had no clue what they were talking about, and. You know, after the show, I went home, and the first thing I did was go and buy the book. <laughs> and you know, I said, I've, "We're obviously going to get this as a suggestion a lot, so I better read the book." Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and actually, it turned out I really got into the book, and I read all seven books. You know, when they came out, so sometimes you discover something that you didn't know you liked. But mm-hmm. you know, I, I have a rule with the, the players, which is you're allowed to be stumped in a show, but it can only happen once. Mm-hmm. So, in other words, if you get stumped on a topic. That's fine. You can't know everything, but you can't get stumped on that same thing again. Yeah, yeah. You're responsible for doing your homework mm. and knowing what's going on, whether it's a, a book or a movie that's just come out or a, a political movement that's happening in the country mm. or, you know, a funny commercial on TV or a popular saying or expression or a celebrity that's just come up mm. or now it's gotten even bigger. Now it's a YouTube celebrity. Yeah. Right or something like that. Yeah. So uh, James Bailey, my old friend who runs the uh, comedy sports in Los Angeles, has a great saying about this, which is, you know, an improviser's knowledge has to be an inch deep and a mile wide, hmm. right? 
you don't have time to know everything about everything, but if you can just know one thing about a lot of things, that can get you out of a lot of trouble in a scene. Great. Um, the other thing that, that makes it continually fun for me is that you know we have new players that come in all the time, and the makeup of our team is so diverse as far as backgrounds. Mm. So you know when we first started, I was just trying to get something going really quickly. And so my background was as an actor, and I thought, all right, I can train actors to do this really quickly. Most of them have had at least some improv training. And they all know where to go on stage, and they all know how to use their voices and bodies, so I don't have to teach them about characters and voice and movement. All i got to do is show them the games. And so that's what I did. And so when we started, I got found 12 actors and taught them the games, and we opened the show. And six weeks later, six of the 12 got cast in a play. Mm-hmm. And I realized right there that if I have all actors and they're good, they're also going to be good enough to be cast in shows, and I'm going to lose them. Mm-hmm. for months at a time. So we started looking, because of that, we started looking for other people that could just figure this out and do. And it took, a, it took a little longer to train them, but so what we've got now is, when we first started, we had probably 90% actors, and now we've got 5 to 10% actors. Everybody else, all the folks that you've met when you've been here, are Silicon Valley, you know, high-tech software engineers. We've got two lawyers on the team. Uh, we've got four teachers on the team and managers and, you know, just, just a lot of people that work in Silicon Valley. But what makes it great is that they're coming at improv from that angle. And that's what I love about performing with them is that if I always did the show with all actors, I'd be able to predict everything that they were going to say at a certain point, right? And their scope is is much more limited than someone that's coming at it from I'm a software engineer that learned improv mm. as opposed to I'm an actor that learned improv mm. right so a, a great mix for me is having you know there's an actor in the show but they're right alongside a software engineer and they're right alongside a lawyer mm. and they're right alongside a project manager and there's a teach a, a, a high school English teacher also and yet they all share this thing in common which is the same training mm. For doing this particular type yeah. of show, yeah, that, that, I, I do. I find that as well in Ireland with you know the classes that I teach. That you know, as well, bringing that range, that variety in people, it it brings something I think extra as well to the show as opposed to having, you know, an off the shelf. Everyone has the same background, the same qualifications. You know, I think that's that, and that's something yeah. that's wonderful about improv is that we can do that. Yeah, and I mean, don't get me wrong, having an improv show of all actors would be a great show. Mm. I've been in those shows. And they can do, they might be able to do styles, Mm. you know, theater styles and things like that. And it would be magnificent because they've studied those things. But the scope of what they've studied within their education is very different from the scope of somebody that went to school and graduated with a degree in engineering. Yeah, yeah. Right? And so the depth of their knowledge is is out here, too. And, you know, on the ideal team... You would have people from all those different backgrounds, and you'd literally be going out there going, well, it doesn't matter what suggestion we get. Somebody is going to know something about this, and yeah. they'll lead the scene, and the rest of us will follow. Cool. So you do a lot of uh, teaching and, and training. Um, so what I like to ask people is maybe something you've been working on recently or a bad habit you often see people have an improv maybe a pro tip or an exercise you'd like to share with us to, to help people out in a particular area sure uh, a lot of the stuff that I do is 
just trying to break it down into the, I don't know, its most basic components. My my philosophy in doing this is that I'm, I'm personally, as an improviser, I'm always looking for ways to make it easier. And I, I don't necessarily mean shortcuts. I mean ways to just make it easier so I'm thinking less and I can just react and, and have fun in the scene and not overthink everything and go out there and be thinking about 10 million things that get in the way. Um, you know, it's like playing golf, right? You you take a golf lesson and they say, all right, make sure you keep your left arm straight, keep your head down, and make sure you're rotating, you know, from your hips and, you know, get the body, lower body going through and then keep this and drive through. And anytime I take a golf lesson, I can't play golf for a week <laughs> because all I'm doing is thinking of all of those individual steps, right? Mm. And I can't play. You know, I'm going, all right, bring your arm back. Is your left arm straight? I don't know. Okay, all right, bring it back. All right, now make sure you use your knees. All right, now make sure that you're locking in and coming through with the hips. And, of course, I can't hit the ball. The ball, I either swing and miss <laughs> or I shank the ball <laughs> somewhere. And it, it, at some point I get so frustrated that I just go, just, just hit the damn ball, mm-hmm. right? And I just wind up and hit the ball, and I'm not thinking about all of those things, right? And, and I improv... A lot of improv is the same way. You know, you can get so caught up in your head mm-hmm. that you re- literally can't do anything because everything is just so up in your head and logic oriented that, and you, you can't do improv with logic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, some of it is. Obviously, you're doing a scene and there's a logic to the scene, but you can't be doing improv when you're walking out on stage and you're going, "Okay, make sure you've got a strong character." Oh, geez, what's my status? What's what's my status? Okay, who's? I, I make sure that you're leading and following, leading and following. All right. Oh, what? And you realize you haven't heard anything that your scene partner has said in the last ten seconds because all you're doing is thinking about all the tools and the steps and all the things that you have to do. So, a lot of times when I'm teaching, I try to just break it down into saying, just listen and react to what the person's doing, right? And don't try to be funny, and don't try to be interesting. Just just react. And if the person gives you something to react to, just react to it hmm. right and you go out on stage and and also just knowing what your uh, role is within the scene as an improviser and that helped me a lot when I just decided for myself that what what's my role right now what position do they need me to fill within this scene hmm. right so if I'm starting a scene all I'm focused on is it's the first 10 seconds so I'm just going to get out there and try and establish where we are or who we are in a relationship and that's all I'm responsible for mm-hmm. because I'm starting the scene mm-hmm. right and if someone says to me if you and I are doing a scene and you go I've got an idea let's go then my role is to just listen to what you say and just follow along mm-hmm. <laughs> with what you're doing you know I'm not taking on the role of the leader of the scene I know my role right now is you're the leader and, and you'll take care of me and you'll set it up and my job is just go along with what what's going on, right? You know, the, the whole yes and thing. Hmm. And if I'm not in the scene, or I'm not the second person in the scene, and I'm off stage, and you and someone else are doing a scene, I know what my role is then too, which is just, I'm watching what you guys are doing, and the instant you need help, my job is to get out there and help you. Hmm. You know, my job is not to start the scene, I'm not thinking about that, I'm not thinking about following what you're doing, I'm just watching what the two of you are doing, and if you don't need me, I'm okay. Hmm. My role then is to not come in, right? yeah. my job. Uh, and then when you need me, my job is to come in there and help push the scene along wherever it needs to go. Mm. 
right? And if I, when I just think about it in those terms, it just feels easier for me to do it than getting up in my head and, and focusing on you know, make sure you got a good character and do this and yeah. do that. Uh, as an actor, you know, you're trained with all of these tools. And at a certain point, your instructors, your professors say to you, you've got to just internalize this and then let the technique just take over mm-hmm. when you're out there. And it's the, as one acting teacher said, it's the caring and not caring, mm-hmm. right? The caring is the training and the technique and taking it seriously and taking your craft seriously. And then not caring is just releasing into the scene and letting go and getting out of your head and just say, I've, I've got the training and now I'm going to allow the technique to take over mm-hmm. and not think about the technique itself. It's just go, do it. Great. One last question for you, Jeff. And I'm going, before I even ask you the question, I'm going to tell you now where you can't go with this. Uh, your answer to this question cannot be a comedy sports San Jose lineup that you weren't in. And your answer can't be stage four improv who play here every second Saturday. And it's this. Has there been a show in, in recent months or something you recall that you watched, an improv show that you watched, where you just enjoyed it for what it was? You know, you parked your improv brain and you just sat down, you really enjoyed it, maybe you were blown away. Maybe you just got lost in the in the audience experience. Is there anything that springs to mind? Uh, that's not a comedy sports show. That's not it, or that it, wasn't a. Com- I'm going to push you to say not a comedy sports show, but I will allow you say a comedy sports show as long as it's not San Jose. <laughs> well, I mean, it happens to me every year when we go to a, a, a championship, hmm. and I really love that because I'm not responsible for anything that's happening, like I am here. You know, as as a, a a person that is the you know responsible for the business aspect as well as being a performer, all those things are going on. And when we go to a championship, I can just sit back and just watch hmm. what people are doing and just enjoy it because I don't have to think about anything other than the fact that I'm watching and enjoying this. And uh, and I do that whenever I go up to San Francisco uh, and do that too. So uh, I, I would say a recent experience was the the San Francisco Improv Festival. And they asked us to come up and do a show, but they, uh, I'll give you two. Uh, They asked us to come up and do a show, but um, they asked if they could put together a group of improvisers to play against comedy sports. So it would be comedy sports versus the San Francisco Improv Festival All-Stars. And uh, and some of them were guys that I had known that I had improvised with before. So I knew they could do short form. And so we went up there, and it was a couple hours before the show, and we met up with them, and first we went out to dinner with them, and then we were like, well, what games do you guys like, or what do you want to play? And so the two of us just tried to kind of shape the show so that the focus was really on making sure that they were comfortable with it Hmm. and making sure that they had fun Hmm. when we went out there. And the score was going to be irrelevant. We didn't care who won won the show. For us, it was more about, let's make sure that this show... You know, is uh, is is fun for you guys, mm. and we had so much fun with them during the show, and you know, they were hysterical watching when we were on stage, but our guys were rooting them on and wanting them to do well and laughing at everything that they did, and then we played one game, you know, kind of together with both teams joining forces to do this last mm. game or scene, uh, and that was just fun because it was this group of people that we had never played with before certainly not our guys had played I knew two out of the four of them I had played with the other two I I met an hour before we walked on stage with them and being able to come together and and do this show 
was great. And the other one just happened uh, last weekend. We had a group of improvisers from Italy that were out here and played with us in the show. One of our players had uh, gone to Italy this summer, and his uh, uh, tour guide was born and raised in Siena and just was a really funny guy and Chris really liked him and he found out that this guy did improv and he was doing a theater sports team in, in Siena and they were going to be coming over here and we set this up several months ago that they could come out and play with us in the show and so they came out last Saturday and we again it was an hour and a half before the show and we're sitting down with them and two of them spoke English fluently one spoke English pretty well and one didn't speak English well. <laughs> and so how are we going to do this show with them and make them feel comfortable? So we just you know, picked the games that we thought didn't require a lot of spoken word too much. Like we're certainly not going to do any pun games or anything like that. Big physical games. And they were all for it. And so we put two of them on each team. And, uh, and we had so much fun with them. You know, um, and other moments are like you know whenever we have visiting people, that's always just a, a a shot in the arm to everybody on the team too. They just really love getting other people there, and mm. you know the what people bring to us. You know, you brought us a new warm up game, <laughs> yeah. and then you made it harder tonight to practice. <laughs> and did you notice though how everybody? took to it you know mm. they were like oh we love this game and you said I've got a harder version of it <laughs> and everybody said oh yeah give us the harder mm. harder version of it and, and just you know jumped into it and we'll be doing that now that's mm. going to be just part of our regular warm ups that's what I love is, is what we take from other yeah. visitors and countries and how we trade things and you know that's the ideal improv world to me is where people are more concerned about sharing these things rather than saying, you know, we judge you, we're better than you, you know, short form is better than long form. No, long form is better than short form. You know, those silly, petty arguments that literally mean nothing to anyone outside of the improv world, right? So, so true. And uh, so I don't know if I answered your question. You did, <laughs> you not. did, you did. Jeff Kramer, thank you very much. Sure, my pleasure. Thank you.